0: Hello, this is Max Gridenchik, that's Rom from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to TrekMate. Oh, Rom.
1: Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the TrekMate podcast, its continuing mission to entertain, enlighten, educate, and talk all things Trek, to boldly go... Where no podcast has gone before. Make it so. Prepare to attack, all-hands battle station. Don't worry, we will get to the bottom of this. All As is a tall ship and a star. It's by. I don't want excuses, I want answers. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? How do you think that tells me about your character? Captain's log, star date thirty-five forty-one point
0: nine. Program complete. Enter when ready.
2: Hello and welcome to Trackmate. My name's Wayne Emery,
3: and I'm Jude Hawkins. Hello.
2: Ah, how are you keeping, mate?
3: I'm good. I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Very good. Getting close to DST? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, getting very excited for it now.
2: That's the thing, for us at the moment, it's a week and a half away. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just under, in fact, so it's not far, not far at all now.
3: Yeah, yeah, it'll be the first time we meet up in person. Mm-hmm, definitely, so there's going to
2: be plenty of kisses and cuddles.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so. Bring your umbrellas. That's it. <laughs> Oh
2: uh, no! We're, I I'm really looking forward to it. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good weekend, I think.
3: Yeah. Um. I've I've noticed today online. Um. By the time the pod goes out on Sunday, that they're, they're announcing the schedules on Friday uh, mm-hmm. of the talks and photos and whatnot. So. Uh, so by the time this is out, everybody I'm sure will be planning away where they're going to be and and where. Yeah.
2: Yep, no exactly. Well, that's what we want to do is figure out exactly where we want to be at what times over that weekend. Yeah. Exactly, especially since um we're going to be uh hosting a quiz on the Saturday. Well, but at least
3: we're supposed to be, yeah.
2: We're supposed to be, yeah. So it's um until the actual schedule comes out then, it uh, we won't know for certain when it is. I will so, say
3: one thing, whether we are doing that or not, I look forward to uh, to meeting any listeners of the show uh, when we're there. So, you know, if you do recognise either of us, come up and say hello and stuff. I look forward to, to meeting people.
2: Yep, by all means, uh, that's the thing. Uh, I want to, uh, since this is the last pod that will be going out before DSC, it's a good point to actually uh, reassure listeners that if you do see myself or Jude... Uh, please come over and say hi it'd be great to shake your hand and say thank you for listening because we appreciate you guys giving us as much time as what uh like uh, we would hope people would appreciate what we do for the podcast so it'd be uh, brilliant to be able to uh, thank you guys for listening
3: definitely
2: definitely by all means doesn't matter what we're doing as long as i'm not in the loo (laughs) (laughs) that's <laughs> <laughs> probably not a good point to say yeah. <laughs> but other than that yeah by all means uh, it, if if you see us just give us a shout
3: try not to do it in the middle of uh, a William Shatner talk or something like that either Wayne No, <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I, th- I think that would be most appropriate <laughs> <laughs> who that's is it. this Wayne they speak of Oh, that, I think that's something to get worth getting chucked out of a Shatner talk. <laughs> yeah.
3: Just for being recognized. Never said.
2: Crazy mate.
3: person, Shatner <laughs> That's it. Whoever can
2: shout the most Trekmate quotes in a William Shatner talk <laughs> yeah. gets the golden prize.
3: Oi, Wayne, track <laughs> off.
2: Oh, gives a toss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, oh. and if someone can get in a Jeremiah
4: <laughs>
3: yeah I, I might do one of those maybe on Sunday when I've done everything I need to do
2: that's it you're and ready it you're, winding down, you're ready to go
3: point. yeah
4: Jeremiah
2: <laughs> <laughs> go round for like half an hour of the convention looking for Jeremiah <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: Jeremiah
4: Jeremiah <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh dear. So <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good once they've got the schedule up, so we can start planning stuff.
3: Yeah, I look forward to that.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So and hopefully nothing clashes too much. Yeah, I hope
3: not. But we'll because see.
2: We'll see. Don't get me wrong. I'm 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 not 100 percent defending everything because it, I know that we've had schedules a lot earlier in the past. Yeah. Than what we have done this year, so it's going to be like a bit um, uh, close to the event to be trying to plan everything out. It is, yes. I totally understand where some people are coming from, but at the same time, I think it's going to be a good event and going to be uh, nice to be able to meet up with everyone and talk, talk Trek, and we'll be putting up all of the uh, Destination Star Trek goodness on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Uh, Twitter account and also what we'll do is um, uh, when we get back uh, the episode after because the next episode that you hear will come out when Destination Star Trek is going on and then the week after that we'll talk about the event yeah okay sorry to interrupt uh, the show there guys just a quick edit before the show goes out the timetable has gone out So at 10.20 on a Saturday, you'll be able to find us on the Excelsior stage talking with Jamie, who is a presenter for BBC Radio, and I'll be discussing Star Trek games. So if you want to check us out, uh, we'll be on the Excelsior stage at 10.20, and we will also be hosting a Star Trek trivia panel, which is going to be a uh, spin on a Star Trek version of Family Fortunes, which should be good, should be fun. If anybody wants to join us, we'll be over at the Excelsior stage at 11.45, so uh, make sure that you head on over there if it's in between whatever talks that you're doing it'll be uh, uh, good to have anyone uh, in the crowd who listens to the pod. Definitely. And also, if you want to be... uh, I'm going to be having two teams of five people playing against each other. If you tell me that you listen to Trek, mate, I'll make sure that you're on one of the teams.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool.
2: Yeah, if you want to join in, just come over and say, Oi, I listen to Trek, mate, and I'll make sure that you get on one of the teams. Yeah, you know who you are. Unless you're listener number 11, then unfortunately the spaces are full. (laughs) (laughs) We have got a good episode for you this week. We're being joined by Chris, the author of DeForest Kelly Up Close and Personal, the memoirs from the fan who knew him best. Once again, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, once again an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to uh, Chris. It's always... a treat to have Chris on, so... Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm getting a feeling that Chris might be slightly biased, so let's find out who gives a toss.
5: (laughs) (laughs) T.O.S. Who gives a toss?
2: Yes, it's that time again to figure out whether we do give a toss about T.O.S., and we are joined by the one and only Chris Smith. Thank you for joining us again, Chris.
6: Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
3: I'm glad to have you back.
2: Yeah, we we was very uh, eager to have you back after our last chat. We enjoyed uh, having you on so much. I
4: yeah. loved
6: it. Absolutely yeah. great.
2: Yeah. And that's it. And now it will be nice to actually take a, like a bit of a look... Uh, at one of uh, DeForest's favorite episodes, a little bit more mm-hmm. in depth. Okay. Because that's the thing, as you said in the interview, the uh, well, the uh, well, the episode that we're going to be discussing this week is the Empath, which was one of Dee's favorite episodes. So uh, it's it's certainly it's a very different sort of tempo to um, a lot of uh, a lot of TOS's uh, episodes. And I personally, I quite enjoyed it. I, I, I think it's a very strong episode.
5: I enjoyed I it.
6: It was I, done I would... almost, almost like a theater in the round thing. Instead of it being out on a planet, it was done on a soundstage that was all blacked out, and it yeah. really gave it an intimate feeling. I loved it.
3: It was like ninety percent of the episode, wasn't it? It was in that room. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. But
2: that's the thing, stylistically, it was something entirely different from what we had seen up until that point. As you said, like being pretty much an entirely blacked out room, just with spotlights highlighting certain areas. It was Mm -hmm. very theatrical.
6: It was. It absolutely was. And you got to focus on the acting instead of any special effects or anything else that might be going on that had to be carried by. The story, the performances, and that's Definitely, it, of... it
3: did come across as sort of like a play, didn't it? Like, they could easily <laughs> do that, like, recreate Jeez. that live. Yes. I wonder if anybody
2: has done a reproduction of that, because, as you said, it yeah. would very easily cross over.
6: You absolutely could do it, and it seems to me I heard that somebody did it once. I don't remember where, but um, it would be very easy to do.
4: Mhm. Yeah,
3: I'll have to look that up.
2: Whether you would be able to do it with the same style is another question, but you could definitely uh, give it a go.
6: Yeah, right. <laughs> I think even a high school production could do it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
6: my my niece last year did something from the Twilight Zone, and she portrayed well. She did she did a female Rod Sterling. They did mm-hmm. something like that. Took one of the other episodes, or three of the episode actually, and made them into a vignette of three different. Uh, Twilight Zone episode, so I can oh. see the empath being done that way in a heartbeat.
3: Yeah, all you really need is a couple of chairs isn't it, in the middle of the stage, yeah, absolutely. that's pretty much it
6: Exactly
3: Yeah
2: So for anybody who is unfamiliar with uh, the episode The Empath it, it starts out with the away team uh, beaming onto uh, a planet which which star is actually about to be going supernova and as such they're there to try and uh, take away the uh, team of scientists that are at a outpost on this planet. When they get there they discover that no one's been there for a while and they're missing, the whole place is covered in dust. Uh, at which point they then find the records of what's going on and see that the crew were abducted. And then f- suffer a similar fate. So one by one. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, one by one. So obviously, uh, it, the way that it happens, uh, to be honest, it's it's your almost stereotypical sort of alien abduction sort of uh, yes. way that it's done.
6: Yes. And one by one, in very short order, all of them also are abducted and find themselves below this surface of this planet where this experiment's going on, but they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. They, yeah.
2: Well, that's the thing. When they uh, first actually went on... Uh, like, uh, got beamed under uh, the surface of the planet and you see uh, the character that McCoy uh, ends up calling Jem... Um, I was certain the first time that I watched this episode that she was going to be more of a sinister character than what she ended up
3: being. Yeah, I could see that. Like she was like in on the trip with the with the other guys, with the aliens. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah.
6: Spock did say, "Hey, wait a minute. You know the the bats from something or other. You know, appear like rock light until they attack. So it was like, take care. You know, Spock was saying, mm. be careful." Be careful; it might not be what it appears.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because it, it turned
6: out was what it appears. Yeah.
2: D- did you um uh, like get similar sort of uh, impression? Obviously, uh, now you uh-huh. you was watching it f- through the original run, though, Chris. So you, yeah. you you may not remember your initial thoughts.
6: No, I didn't. I took her at face value until Spock said that. Mm-hmm. And went, you know, that's true. You can't just assume that what you see is what you get, and especially mm-hmm. not with just been abducted. You can't assume that. So um, I, at that point, I went, okay, so who is this being and what is she doing? And And okay. then as I saw her reacting to Kirk's, you know, obvious, well, she took it as aggression. Yeah, you know, I mean, she just she just recoiled almost every time he spoke because he was very commanding and demanding, and she yeah. just like recoiled and and it was like I could tell pretty quickly that no, she wasn't there to be uh, bad. She was she was well, obviously we find out later she's an empath. She act she absorbs everybody else's feelings and emotions and everything else, and she was reacting to what he was feeling even though. His voice wasn't necessarily there. She mm-hmm. knew his intentions, and she was a little mm-hmm. afraid. He was, you know, he, you know, uh, Kirk's um, job as a commander is to boldly go, even if it's dangerous, but also to take very, very good care of his crewmen. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to figure out real quickly, like, are you friend or foe? And because he was doing it so forcefully, it, you know, it rocked her back on her heels and she was like, whoa, whoa, you know, what are you, what are you, you know, why are you mad at me? <laughs> Almost yeah. looked like, thinking, you know?
3: That's it. You're hysteria think, hysteria. think the actress had a tough job throughout the whole episode, you know,
6: she putting was across fabulous. all the
3: emotions without saying a single word for, for 45 so the,
6: minutes. It was fabulous. She was great.
3: Yeah. Hmm.
2: Though I did wonder... Um as a species that is mute and relies solely on their uh, empathic uh, abilities, <laughs> just me being um, uh I just wonder why she evolved ears.
6: You wonder <clears throat>
2: why she evolved ears.
6: Oh!
2: They <laughs> should have had a prosthetic covering <laughs> the ears as well.
6: <laughs> Possibly, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'd lost them over the course of for whatever reason. yeah But yeah, you're right. Of course, we had humans playing it, but you're right. I mean the vians, the people who were who were doing this research, mm-hmm. they certainly looked alien. She could look alien too. However, the whole idea was I think for there also to be some kind of romantic thing, you know, potential mm-hmm. of a romantic thing, and they wanted Imagine her to look as human-like as possible, so that people could really relate to what they were, what was going on there.
2: Yeah, and also it's easier to empathize and to put yourself into a situation if, if you're looking at something that is similar to yourself.
6: Correct. You don't you don't remove yourself, and the us versus them thing has completely gone away. Other than the fact she can't speak, she is like us. You know, and so it's easier to to buy into that. I think the more similar someone is.
4: Yeah,
2: I thought it was an interesting uh, concept that she was able to absorb um, any uh, like ailments or uh, or injuries that somebody had sustained, as well as being able to just read people's minds as well.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like the little special effects when she did that as well, like the sort of '60s commercial little thing where it just had the little white star just go like ding.
4: Uh-huh, <laughs> like yes. Well, <she> <laughs> that was funny. Yes.
6: Uh-huh. And yet they were the Vines were trying to say is she evolved enough that she would actually give her life for another person because the worse oh, somebody, the worse injured somebody was, the less likely she was to go forward and do that. I'll Mm -hmm. take this pain, I'll take this pain, I'll take this pain, but, you know, how far would she go?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's basically their experiment all along, we find out later on, isn't it? Later
4: on, yes. Yeah.
3: It is,
2: because what I found interesting was um, when they initially investigated the next adjoining room and found... The laboratory and found um, Azaba and Link uh, in their test tubes, like all frozen up. Um, Yes. I wonder. I just wondered to myself why Jem didn't um, respond in a way that would have made her want to save these uh, two individuals. Maybe they were absolute gits and she, she felt they deserved <laughs> it. Did they,
6: they didn't look horribly beaten up or anything like they had been get, damaged in such a way that she was afraid to die for them.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. You'd almost have to talk to the writer of the show, I would think, to figure out why weren't they? Uh, did they. Show hostile intentions to where the Viens decided to just <laughs> put them out.
3: Yeah, exactly.
6: Not a not a good not a good test subject because of whatever reason. Who knows? Well, I yeah, that's know. what
3: what the aliens say, isn't it? Like we didn't kill them; they killed themselves through their yes. imperfections or whatever it is. So, I, I guess it's yeah.
2: You never know. Maybe they. Could have reacted. Obviously, this is absolute hypothesising, but maybe, but, but maybe they could have reacted negatively towards Jem mm-hmm. and seen her as a threat, which put them as a uh, unsuitable candidates for it. If they're getting aggressive with their test subjects,
6: yeah. If they're going to kill the test subject, I don't trust that lady. Yeah. <laughs> Offer, off yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So no, very well. It might have been that sort of situation, but I um, I I did feel sorry for the guys through the episode because they were getting absolutely uh, horrifically tortured.
6: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh,
2: yeah. It's not very often in TOS that you almost get, because um, obviously we see people get beaten up, we see people get tortured, but then um, you never almost get like a very similar symbolism to crucifixion uh, going mm-hmm.
4: on, yeah, which
2: yeah. obviously would hit home with a lot of people, especially back in the yeah. '60s. Yes.
4: Yeah.
6: Exactly.
2: So for me, that was that was quite uh, telling. But also, obviously, they kept on testing uh, Gem throughout by allowing the like like allowing Kirk Spock, and McCoy to actually escape.
6: They needed her to observe to find out how willing they were to give their lives for each other to see if she would reciprocate in that way.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: If she would buy into that, because. Apparently, there was only one planet they could save. They only had enough of the capacity to save one planet. They wanted to be sure the planet they saved in this solar system that was going to go supernova or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, that they saved the proper species that would go out to colonize and that they would have compassion. Mm
4: -hmm. And yet
6: you wonder why, yes. Yes
4: yeah
2: no, go ahead, Chris. Finish your thoughts. You wonder
6: why, like Kirk asked him at the end, you've lost the capacity to feel what you brought here, Jim, to experience.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: how can you put us through this? Why are you doing that? Um, and that was that that almost seemed to rock the aliens back on their heels when they realized, yeah, we are
2: what I was also <laughs> interested by was. Uh, the fact that they um, wrote into the scripts that the, uh, a means that they weren't able to actually get uh, in contact with the ship. Uh, it was it, to be honest. I think in later series, solar flares wouldn't have necessarily have had the same sort of impact uh, on ships because uh, their deflector dishes always seem to be able to withstand that sort of uh, radiation. But it is a very real part of space travel that they did manage to... It's like, like they got some decent science fact in there because uh, when we go into space nowadays, the one of the biggest threats to us is the radiation because mm-hmm. we're not protected by the atmosphere. Correct. Yeah, so I, I thought that was quite a nice touch to have a little bit of science fact going on.
6: Uh-huh. Yeah, and they were below the surface of the planet for this. They were somewhere in the bowels of the planet, except when they were up on the surface.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: When they saw, they thought they saw Scotty, and no, it wasn't. It was, it was something that the Vians had put up there to make them think it wasn't Vians. Or am I, do I have the right species here? It was uh, Vians. Okay, um, I saw this like three months ago, and before that, I hadn't seen it in 30 years. So I'm trying to recall <laughs> everything I think I know.
2: You're doing better uh, than but, I would have done. <laughs>
6: Anyhow, um, the Viands obviously could create conditions and environments and get you to see what they wanted you to see, too,
4: mm-hmm.
6: because they had, they had, you know, Scotty supposedly show up when he wasn't really there and stuff like that. So
4: mm-hmm.
6: they were a really advanced race. They could make things happen. But apparently they needed this one gal to, you know, go further. And she was the focal point of the entire episode. Like, is she going to be our our salvation?
2: Yeah, well, that's the thing. is is quite a responsibility to be a to be, but also it almost it maybe is it naive of these aliens of the Vians to actually um, be judging an entire species on one specimen. 100%.
6: Exactly. Yeah,
4: because maybe
6: they just didn't have time maybe they had to do this thing and
4: Mm -hmm. i don't know
6: and maybe they had done this with other species and somehow narrowed it down to her i mean after all was she going to be the mother of the new race of the new species was she was she going to be like the queen bee you know Mm -hmm. we don't know enough of the story to really know where they were going with this Mm
2: -hmm. yeah well that's the thing because it's it's quite um A thing to put all of that responsibility onto one person, but as you said, with the powers that um, the Vians had of creating mirages and uh, environments that like out of thin air, uh, and also even similarly in their look, they reminded me of the Talosians from Mm -hmm. the Pilot. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
3: I thought that too.
6: Exactly.
3: Yep. Very similar. Very yeah. similar in look and in what they do. Yes. I wonder
2: if they managed to squeeze the similarities through because, obviously, up until that point, the the cage was never seen.
6: Right. Oh, they used a lot of those costumes. I mean, Mork ended up wearing Captain Green's costume. Yeah, it was paramount. Yeah. They were running around in, in the costuming, border of rug department, grabbing stuff. and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And how many things can you fit on a human's head and have it look all that much different? I mean, back then. I'm not talking yeah. about today, yeah. things they can do, but back then that was considered state of the art type stuff. And they were uh, they were using styrofoam things and spraying them. I mean you've seen the you've seen the behind the scenes stuff.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How they were
6: coming up with these alien forms and ships and stuff. It was pretty funny.
2: Definitely. And that's one thing that we always um, keep in mind when we're revisiting TOS is you've got to remind yourself that it's a product of its time. You can't um, okay. treat it with the same standards that you would with a new show coming out now or something exactly. made in the early 2000s. Exactly. Hmm. So
4: yeah. you've...
6: All the feminists are all over it. You know, all those short skirts and all the, you know, Captain Kirk's after all the girls and all this stuff. It was the 60s. Yeah. It was the 60s. It was the 60s. I mean, in the 50s, before I mean, this was before Ms. Magazine. This is before any kind of feminist thing at all really was out happening much at all.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And I remember, you know, in my dad's garage and other people's garages, they had, you know, women on motorcycles, you know, scantily clad or not clad at all.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: So I mean, it was yeah. just it's it's what it was. Um, and you yeah, know, it's just what it was. I think we've evolved. Thank you. In 50 years.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You would, <laughs> would have hoped that we would have done, but as you said, it. There are a number of episodes where, uh, looking back now, even as uh, as a uh, as a uh, bloke, you can watch and go, "Oh, that's a bit. <laughs> that's a bit close really? to the bone." Yeah.
6: <laughs> Diana Muldaur, you know, taking over Captain Kirk's body so she could be the captain. You know yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. There were already women admirals in the 60s, you know, so mm-hmm. it was it was a sexist show. You mean we we're in the 23rd century and women don't do much except be communications officers, which was plenty. I mean, Martin Luther mm-hmm. King loved the fact that she was on the Enterprise and told her, "Please don't go. Please don't go." But yeah. otherwise, they were they were eye candy and. You know, conquests and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Some of them, France Nguyen came across as this, you know, warlike, warrior like thing. There were, Mm -hmm. they had their moments, but Mm -hmm. most of it wasn't terribly, you know. uh... Yeah, that's not why we watched Star Trek. That's not why women watched Star Trek. We Mm -hmm. liked the men and depending on who they were and how they treated other people, including women. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's, uh, when, when you do watch Star Trek, there is always uh, a character that you can gravitate towards, whether it's someone that you identify with or whether it's somebody that you um, w- w- would aspire to or whether somebody that you would uh, like to imagine yourself with. There's always right. characters that you can
6: exactly connect with. Exactly. Yes. And I just always liked McCoy because I felt like he would treat ladies like ladies. Mm-hmm. You know, you treat her like a lady and she'll always bring you home. I mean, he was always very gallant and charming and not predatory. I mean, he was like somebody you'd want to be with instead of somebody who chased you down. You know, the caveman thing.
3: Yeah, yeah.
6: <laughs> so, Definitely. Um,
3: I was yeah. going to ask you, it's what
6: his what Spock, worries... because he wasn't at all predatory. He was like, come on, get with the program. You know?
3: <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for listening to this edition of TrekMate. There are a number of ways you can get in touch. You can email TrekMate1701 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're at TrekMate1701. Or, if you're on Facebook, just search for TrekMate and like our page. Remember to stop by TrekMateFamily.com to read our original features and check out some of our sister podcasts. You can find Jude on Twitter and YouTube. He is the official Jude, or just search for Jude Hawkins on Facebook. You can contact Wayne on Twitter. He is at WayneTheGame. If you enjoy the music played at the end of the Trekmate podcast, you can download them for free at StarTrekParodies.com. And if you want to tell the artist just how much he rocks, you can tweet me, Rick Moyer at Moyer777. Oh, and please stop by iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really does make a difference for us. If you've already done so, then thank you. Once again, thanks for listening to this edition of TrekMate.
6: Chris,
3: I was going to say, other than the fact that he's on screen for like 75% of the show on this one, uh, why, why was this? One of DeForest's favorites, do you think? Did he ever say? I don't think
6: he ever told me why. He loved the fact that it was done almost like a stage play. Yeah. And it was very character driven. There wasn't any of the special effects things. It was just, it was a, it was a study of something that was really something worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said it was never true that they did that because they ran out of budget for. i mean there was this rumor going around that there was no budget for any uh planet so they draped this thing and but it wasn't it was designed to be filmed that way on a soundstage in the in the dark and um he just thought it was really really great character study between the three of them Mm -hmm. their willingness to give their lives for each other the fact that just the whole concept of the show intrigued him.
2: Yeah, and to be honest, speaking of your boy, D, um, he, uh, McCoy is very well represented in this episode in the sense of uh, he's willing to <laughs> knock out both Spock and Kirk to take the bullet to sacrifice yeah. himself.
6: Correct. And yet, and then he says when Jim is willing to give her life for him, he pushes her away and says, no, mm-hmm. I'm a doctor. I can't take a life even if it's to save my own.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And, but, and then he said, now, Jim proved her willingness to, take, to give her life for him. And they said, that's not enough. Yes, that's enough. McCoy said, no, you're not going to do that.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: You're not, not going to allow that.
2: And that's the thing that was um, Kirk only they only realized that through Kirk and Spock hammering it home that she was willing to give her life for McCoy, but <laughs> he McCoy being let her. no, and that's the he thing is let... it's definitely a testament to his character, yeah,
4: exactly, yeah.
2: And uh, you, you can't, uh, from uh, watching this, you can't fault D's uh, acting whatsoever. I thought he uh, played it very well.
3: Definitely.
6: I always thought almost anything he did was fabulous. <laughs> really You're was slightly biased. biased. I am biased. Never say so slightly. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but he was a really, really good actor. Unless you've seen him as a cowboy, you really can't know what a good actor he was. Mm -hmm. because yeah there were times in star trek i think he was especially when it was in the background and the scenes, just sitting there where he was kind of phoning it in but Mm -hmm. most of the time whenever he had something to do he did it very very well yeah
4: yeah yeah this
3: is a perfect example of that isn't it it really is it really is and i can see why it's one of his favorites I, i was just curious to to know you know what he'd said but he
6: just he just thought it felt he used to do stage too and he just it felt yeah. more like stage play. Um, another thing that D, D said, it an awful lot of those shows were done on sound stages, which kind of got boring to him after a while mm-hmm. when he was doing Cowboy stuff. He was always out, he was in Arizona or up at Vasquez Rocks, yeah. so he was out on location somewhere. And I think, I think the sound stage thing just did get old to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to remember, I mean, we always just think back on McCoy and how much we loved him when you realize, realize how little he had to do in that show. He really was, he wasn't in it a whole great deal. He was hanging around, but he wasn't in it. He wasn't, he didn't have the screen time that Kirk or Spock ever had. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
6: And so, I mean, he was an ensemble player and he understood that, but I can't imagine, and he never mentioned this to me, but I can't imagine him being, not being bored a bunch of the time, except that he was a really good relational person. And I think when he was even standing on the sides waiting to do his thing, he was probably having a great time with the other cast members and stuff like that, you know, being in touch with them. He was a great person to be in conversation with, but uh, listen, I worked in a movie studio and Mm -hmm. it is tedious, tedious work because you have to get the lighting set up. You have to get the audio set up. You got to get this, the actors in their places you have to get them in three different places for reaction shots and they have to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and i watched it being done and i said i don't know how you guys don't go crazy there was mm-hmm. more waiting around and standing around and waiting for the lighting man and waiting for the audio man and waiting for this and that to happen before you can even do your thing and then they and then they film them out of sequence so if you're going to be on this planet three times you go to this location and you film the three times that out of order, you have to remember where your character is in the process of this order. I mean, there's a whole lot going on and yet it's almost all mental Mm -hmm. because how many moments do you spend on the screen? Most of it is prep waiting and stuff. So it's tedious, tedious process. It takes something like depends on what it is. It can take four hours to get 30 seconds of a, of something done.
2: Yeah. Crimey. So
6: it we think crazy. of it, yeah, we think of it as this delightful experience, and it's really tedious unless you really, really love what you're doing. That's, and he yeah. did. He that's did. the
2: thing. I would have always thought that the ratio would have been nearer to like an hour for every five minutes, but that's that's amazing. No,
6: not at all. No, it's it's incredible. I was working at Warner Brothers one time and they did a um, they were filming ER outside the building where I was. Uh And there were three three women actors and. George Clooney, Uh and there were 250 people standing around lighting people, sound people, directors, producer. I mean, there was just this huge amount of people all standing around my dad happened to be there that day. And he said, Oh my God, that would drive me crazy. That would absolutely <laughs> drive me. And I said, yeah, it's pretty tedious. It really is. And they had to do it like three different times because say that scene where um, in piece of the action where they're walking across the street and the car almost hits McCoy and he does that jump up onto the sidewalk thingy.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
6: they had to film that first with Kirk, then with Spock, then with McCoy, and then they had to, you know, tie it in all together. And so they had to shoot him from different angles and all of this stuff. It looks like a momentary thing where they're, it's all happening at once, but it's not if you really look at it. It's three different shots from three different angles, and it's, it's you know, it's well edited, so it doesn't feel mm. like that.
4: But mm-hmm.
6: when you actually see the thing being filmed, it's like, wow, that took a whole lot of time to get that little shot there
2: i can fully fully believe that yeah definitely and it makes you appreciate the products at the end of the day a whole lot more
6: absolutely d also said if you'll ever once he said this i have never ever not seen it but i never saw it before he says an actor never looks the other actor in the eye they look beyond them to their right or to their left because if they look them straight in the eye they look cross-eyed the person speaking Let's cross oh, right. so ever since and I've always looked nope they're never looking at each other they're looking past each other and yeah. I'm like geez how did you ever do that and make it look like you were looking at each other I mean because there's all this technique involved in making this thing happen and unless you know what those techniques are you you never see them but I bet you'll see them from now on when I now that I mentioned
2: yeah. that yeah no that's <laughs> all we're going to be looking at now yeah. <laughs>
6: You don't want to look cross-eyed. You have to look beyond them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh dear. So, all in all, I think uh, uh, for me personally, I uh, I was pleasantly surprised the first time that I watched this episode because I I won't lie, a lot of season three doesn't hold my attention.
6: Oh, me either. Yeah. Yeah. I, mine either.
2: And. Um, for me, the the one thing that I always come back to and always say is the point that I don't like an episode is when I get bored by it, and exactly and despite oh,
3: well, you fall asleep.
2: Yeah, and yeah, by this that episode, despite it being just the f- well four main actors in this with Gem, mm-hmm. as well as the Viands, mm-hmm. um. And it being an absolute bottle episode, it's all contained. It held my attention, and the uh, the acting between them, the chemistry between them, absolutely held my attention. I really enjoyed this episode. I did
6: too, very much.
0: I'd agree, yeah.
2: yeah. So, I think I think I know where this is going to go, but uh, Jude. Uh, your your official thoughts? Did this episode make you give a toss about TOS?
3: It 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 did. It did make me give a toss. It as you say, it was all self-contained. Um, but I was impressed with the work of the actors uh, and the writing. The fact that they pulled this off, uh, you know, a one-room episode, it was very impressive. Very well done. So yes, I do give a toss this week.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> And Christine, I, I think I know where this is going to go, but ha- how did you feel? Do you give a toss I about this episode? A,
6: absolutely, I give a toss about that episode. It's one of my favorites.
2: <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So it's all around the boards. So I think it's three big thumbs up for this episode. We, And it's also an episode that you can go back and revisit and not be bored by it.
6: Exactly. Because yeah.
2: that's the thing, Rewatchability value is definitely in this episode, I think.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So, definitely.
6: The ethos, the ethos of Star Trek is in that even what they were trying to do was in the ethos of Star Trek. It was like, we're trying to be sure that the most compassionate, the most empathetic, the most, you know, worthy to survive, the, the person most worthy to take care of everybody else in their realm they were going after a good thing. The vines were hmm. going after a good thing. They were just going after it in a way we would go, well, that is tacky. Yeah. There's another way to do that. You
2: know? Yeah, you could so. have just told
3: us. could have just told yeah. us earlier.
6: <laughs> yes.
2: So, so, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this installment, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, just a reminder for everybody, Just in case, for some reason, it passed you by uh, when we did speak to Chris uh, about her book. Uh, To be honest, if you have not read Chris's book, uh, then it's uh, an absolute shame because you're doing yourself a disjustice uh, by not reading it.
6: Thank you. Should I say the title for people
2: now? Yeah, no, by all means...
6: DeForest Kelly, Up Close and Personal, A Harvest of Memories from the Fan Who Knew Him Best. You can get it at yellowballoonpublications.com.
2: Yeah, and uh, I still fully intend to get the um, uh, audiobook version because uh, there's some extra goodies in there for you as well if you do get the audiobook version.
6: Exactly. There's more than 15 minutes of voicemail messages from Dee and Carolyn and Harve Bennett and A.C. Lyles, who was Dee's... Producer for a lot of his westerns. And who else? Teresa Victor, who was Leonard Nimoy's first secretary, Tippy Hedron. There are other people popping in too that you would probably know, but it's mostly Dean and Carolyn.
3: Yeah, it's cool. That's and,
6: I, it. and I narrated the audiobook too. So it's I've... read by the author
2: and and to be honest it's also not uh, not um, not unfairly priced as well it's very very reasonable for the what you're getting and i can't recommend uh, the book or and i'm looking forward to listening to the audiobook too so yeah 100 thank you for
6: that thank you for that so much
2: so uh, for now chris uh, i'm I'm gonna put it out there. You're more than welcome to come back at any point. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Great.
6: I would love to. Absolutely I'd love
4: to.
2: Thanks, yes. Chris. No, it's an absolute Thank pleasure. You. Thank briefings. you for joining us, Chris.
1: Time for the trick off.
2: So now it's time to duke it out, find out who has got the biggest Trek-mate balls, and <laughs> see whose Star Trek knowledge <laughs> is that much more sizeable. So, here we go. And <laughs> hairy. Oh dear. I'm sure yours are much more hairy, I can't grow a beard for shit. And you've got quite a nice little, <laughs> nice little beard going there. I am always quite jealous of it. I have always you, wanted yeah. to grow a beard. When I grew up I was always like, I wanted a Riker.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much yeah, near yeah, enough definitely. what it is at the moment, isn't and it? And Especially with, with my ST's new haircut. So
2: I think everybody wants Riker. But <laughs> That's it. Yeah,
3: so I could I could go around charging for photographs. Not so flaky Two pound ago, something like
4: later. that.
2: <laughs> That's, yeah. Uh, even Getting more... Get myself exciting. an Xbox One. So... Okay, dude. What planetary alliance is announced in the Deep Space Nine episode, Improbable Cause?
3: Alliance. Yeah. What planetary alliance? Uh, well, I like, can't think of anything but the one... Massive Mm. potentially obvious answer. Okay, so I'll just have to go with that. I guess it was the Dominion,
2: the alliance between the Cardassians and the Romulans.
1: Well, no, it was was a Cardassian Romulan alliance.
2: uh... Yeah, so no, there was one more alliance.
3: A bit like in wrestling when a it, it was they a, make dodgy a team fence. and they can't be bothered to actually come up <laughs> with a proper name. <laughs> yeah. Okay, mate. Right. Oh, Christ. can't probably tell if this is going to be an easy one for you or not. <laughs> As revealed Jet-Trell. in the Voyager episode, Jetrel, don't know if I'm pronouncing that. What superweapon killed more than 300,000 Talaxians, including Neelix's family?
2: Okay, it has been a while since I've watched the later seasons of Voyager, because I'm not sure when he actually discussed it, because obviously he goes on to have the family in the asteroid field, wherever it is later on, right near the end of season seven. Um... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm going to guess is it a weapon that makes uh, their sun go supernova?
3: It's just a name it's the, Big bloody All I'm looking for is the name of the super weapon. Yeah You'd think so, wouldn't you? That, that'd probably be my answer as mm-hmm. well Again, as always pronunciation, I'm not sure if yes, I'm getting it this right the yep. Metreon Cascade? Yeah, as soon
2: as you say it rings a bell.
3: I oh, I, I remember the story, one. you know, but I no, it's a know, tough one. I wouldn't have got that answer.
2: Okay, dude. Your next question. In the Deep Space Nine episode, in oh, Purgatory's Shadow, who admits that he is Garak's father?
3: Oh, I I know his face. Oh, I know his face. Oh, I know the actor, and oh, I can't think of the character's name. <laughs> no, I've got Superman in my head now. I was going to say General Zod. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't think of the guy's name. As soon as you say it, I'll be like, "Oh yeah." I know. Well, that's the
2: thing. It's, I'm awful for names.
3: I know the character. I love the story. I love. I mm-hmm. love Garrick. Um, no, I'm going to have to give in, no. Okay, uh, please uh,
2: forgive pronunciation. Uh, Ennebrand Tain.
3: Okay, I said I'd know it. I still know the character very well, but no, Yeah. The
2: name. No, so unfortunately that is another round with no winner. Go for it, dude.
3: In the two-part Voyager episode "Year of Hell," which alien race has ships that can erase history? Oh Christ! You know what I'm
2: not like for names. And I, yeah, I like I like that episode as well. It's the it's the guy who almost looks like a Dax. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it, like it's got spots a bit like a Trill. Uh
3: huh. <sighs>
2: um honestly I honestly can't remember. I'm awful with names i'm I can't remember you can have a guess if you like. I don't think it'd be worth it
3: okay, it is the krenim
2: yes, of course it's the
3: krenim, oh Christ, okay then, just to let you know I'm gonna give you an easy one next if if I get this one if you give me an easy one and I somehow don't get it, I'll give you an easy one next. What I'm staring at now.
2: Yeah. No. Don't worry. You'll get this one.
3: Oh, oh let's hope so. Now you've said that. Awesome. Gonna sound really fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, no. You
2: definitely should do. Okay. This is a very easy one for you. How does Q celebrate his return to the Q, uh, Q continuum in the next epi- uh, next generation episode, Deja Q? How
3: does he celebrate his return?
2: Yeah, How does he celebrate his return to the Q
3: Continuum? Uh, this should be an easy one.
2: This is one that you would have seen replayed on highlight reels.
3: Just talk to me one more time. How does Q
2: celebrate his return to the Q Continuum in the Next Generation episode? Deja Q. Oh,
3: this one's... Oh, I'm going to hate myself for listening back to this. You will, yeah. I can't believe I'm going to say pass, I think. Um, oh, I, I can't believe I'm going to say pass. It's terrible. Mon Capitan!
2: He celebrates with a mariachi band and oh, cigars for the sake,
4: bridge crew.
3: I was going to say... Why didn't I say that? I was going to say that. And I thought, no, that's something far more petty and small that he was celebrating there in that scene. Oh, I've got to learn to trust my instincts. Trust say your guts. Things. Oh, for God's sake. Sorry. Sorry. I apologize. No need to, to my, apologize to me, mate. To, to my future <laughs> self listening to this pod and to everyone else. Going, who is this fucking dude guy? <laughs> Where did he come from? Oh, dear. Okay, go well, on then, dude. I did promise you if you gave me an easy one, which you did, and I just stupidly didn't spit out what was in my head, I'll I'll give you an easy one. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. In the Deep Space Nine episode, Shattered Mirror, why is there no Mirror Universe counterpart for Jake Sisko? Because he wasn't
2: born. Because Sisko uh, never got with his mum.
3: Yep, you're spot on. Well done. That's it. Wonderful. That's how we like to finish things here. Oh, God, I'm going to hate myself for that stupid Q question. It was in my head. That was all what was in my head, but I I didn't say it because I genuinely thought that was something much more smaller. That was just him teasing Picard at some point for something else. Yeah. That was all I had in my head, and I was just like, no, that's not it.
2: Well, that's the thing, you should trust your gut more often, mate, because... I will. That's Trek, mate.
1: Captain gave us an order. We've got to find some clue. It's no use, Mr. Sulu. Look, there's one of them. There's another one. Scouty party to Enterprise. Come in. Captain, beam us up quick. Emergency. Transporter room. Lock on Sulu
4: on a knee. Beam
1: up immediately. We've got to make a run for it. We can't just stand here.
0: See the brown roads really thick. See the hollow big long sticks. And they serve drew. Sulu underneath his charm. The population he does harm And they serve Landru It's all about Landru It's all about Landru The red hour comes and then they all Lose control for Festival And they serve Landrew It's all about
1: Landrew It's all about Landrew They can't live Without old land.
0: Rachel. These are young men. They're not old enough to be excused. They're visitors. Well, have they no lawgivers in the valley? Are
1: you part of the body? Are you part of the body? Are you part? Are you part? Are you part of the body?
0: Kirk, tried. Trix Landru with his mind Sparks they
1: all fly Nothing left of him And they blew Landrew away And they blew Landrew away And they blew And they blew And they blew, and they blew. This machine six thousand years ago. It must create the good. That is the will of Land.
0: Nothing else. But there is evil. Then the evil must be destroyed.
5: That is the prime directive. And you are the evil. I think. I live. You are the evil. The evil must be destroyed. Fulfill the prime directive. You, Andrew, help me. Are the evil. Fulfill the time direction. Help me, help me, help me, help me,
1: help me! You've been listening to the TrekMate Podcasts. Would you like to get a hold of us? Visit trekmate.org.uk and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Make it so. Prepare to attack, all-hands battle station. Don't worry, we will get to the bottom of this. Is a tall ship and a star to steer by. I don't want excuses, I want answers. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? How do you think that tells me about your
5: character? Captain's log, star date
0: 3541.9. Program complete. Enter when ready.
1: I am Captain Jean-Luc Picard, and I approve this message. Tweet us at
2: TrekMate1701. Make it so.